Good morning. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul says to Timothy that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture. And for Paul, that meant the Old Testament, primarily. The New Testament was being written at that time. So, today, as we engage the book of Ruth, as we wrap up the book of Ruth, I want you to keep that in mind. That all scripture, that the book of Ruth is profitable for us. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we can walk in every good work that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to talk about, we're going to kind of wrap up Ruth 4, um, and then after that I'm going to kind of tie a big bow on Ruth. And, and, and just as a whole, what, what is this book doing and how is it particularly fulfilling that which Paul mentioned about how it's profitable for us in those different, different ways. Um, so let's, let's engage with chapter 4 real quick. I'm just going to do a quick summary of what Patrick just read um, and where we've been so far. So if you remember in chapter 1, we encountered the, the setting, and it was during the time of the judges, and there was a famine in the land, and um, Naomi and Elimelech and their sons went to Moab of all places. If you remember, that was kind of a tense relationship between the Moabites and the Israelites. But they had to go there. That's how desperate they were. And um, worst case scenario happens if you remember all the men die, which is a big deal back in the ancient world in the bait of um, culture where everything is built on the patriarch of the family and it kind of folds out from there. Um, so should all the men be gone in a family, um, the widows were ba basically homeless, um, destitute. And Oh, that's what happens. All the men die, and she ha Naomi has two sons, and she has two daughters-in-law, and she tries to compel her daughters-in-law to, you know what, go back to the house of your fathers. And um, one of them says, okay, and then one of them says, no, your plight is my plight. And shows a remarkable, this is a Moabite woman showing a remarkable amount of uh, faithfulness to her mother-in-law. And she says, your plight is my plight. I'm going to go where you're going to go. Your country is going to be my country. Your God is going to be my God. And they, the famine, they hear the famine's over and they go back to this little town you may have heard of called Bethlehem. And they then proceed to, uh, and we proceed into chapters 2 and 3, which Shay um, taught us about. And the story basically goes, we are introduced to a man named Boaz. And Boaz is this righteous man. And he has, what's, what's remarkable is that Boaz is following the, 
following the laws of God, which is remarkable when you read Judges and you realize that basically no one is. And here is this man, this little town, who's following the laws of God. And he's, there's a law in the Torah that says, um, when you have a field, on the edges of the field, don't harvest that. That'll be for the poor people, the needy people. And um, Boaz is doing that. There's actually a place where someone can come and, and reap um, the, the, the fruit of that, that field. And there, here's this, this young Moabite woman who comes up into Boaz's field. She just happens to show up in Boaz's field, um, which of course she doesn't happen to. It's all God's providence um, arranging everything. And Boaz meets her, and Boaz has heard Ruth's story and about how Ruth is faithful um, to Naomi. And then Ruth goes back to Naomi, like, oh my gosh, I met this really cool guy. And Naomi's like, oh, he's, he's, he's a kinsman redeemer. He's a male in our family. Um, he might be able to redeem you. And meaning he might be able to marry you and you will not be destitute. And we will not be destitute as homeless people. We will, be, we will enter into the fold of his family and belongings. And so she tells uh, Ruth to go and to encounter him on the threshing room floor in chapter 3. And, and then they do. And he says this interesting thing about how um, she is a worthy woman, which will be a noteworthy phrase here in a second. But she says she's a worthy woman, a virtuous woman. And he sends her off and says, he being a righteous man says, hey, gosh, you're a worthy woman and I would love to marry you, but there's one person in front of me, actually. There's actually a, one who's closer, and we need to talk to him. And so Ruth says, okay. And this is where we get in chapter 4. Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down, down there, and behold, the Redeemer, that one who's closer um, to, to Boaz, Boaz says, hey, listen, I, I need you to, I, we have some business to do here. And so, and then what he does is he calls 10 men, 10 of the elders of the town to come and sit and hear this business. Now, this is interesting because um, what they're doing is they're sitting in the place of the judges. The judges sat at the gate of the town. And so, like in their time, um, uh, during the judges, during the time of the judges, they sat and Boaz sits in this seat of the judges, of the judge. And he presents this before the men of the town. And interestingly, there's 12 men of the town. That'll be an interesting point to make here in a second. Um, and he says, listen, here's the deal. Um, I, I, th there's, a, there's Naomi and um, Elimelech's wife, and she needs to be redeemed. And this guy who we don't know about just says, I'll redeem it. And if we're following the story, we're like, what? I was pulling for Boaz and for Ruth here. I'm like invested in Boaz and Ruth. Who is this no-name guy that's all of a sudden going to marry Ruth? And then Boaz says, okay, but just know that you're going to have to marry the Moabite woman when you, when you redeem Naomi. And then he says, oh, I can't do it. And then we're like, all right, sweet. Boaz and Ruth are back on. And that's what happens. 
they, then Boaz says, good, I'm going to redeem the house of Elimelech. I'm going to take in uh, Naomi, and I'm going to marry Ruth. And that's what happens. And they conceive and have a child. And this group of women, which happens to be the same group of women that showed up in um, the first chapter, show up again. And they come and they're celebrating um, this birth of this child and how Naomi has been redeemed and Ruth has been redeemed. And then we get our favorite part of any book, a genealogy. And we get this genealogy with all the hard names to say, and it ends with this interesting name, David, which you may have heard of David. So that's where we are in the story. This is kind of how the story goes. Now, here's my question, going back to what I mentioned about Paul. Why do we have the book of Ruth? Like, why do we have this story? There's a bunch of stories in the Bible. Why do we have Ruth? Have you thought about, well, why is God telling me this? You know, that's a great question to ask the Bible. It's good to go to Paul, who says that all Scripture, and by that he primarily means the Old Testament for him, for us, it's the whole Old Testament, New Testament. But he primarily means the Old Testament, and he's saying, yeah, all that is for you. It's good for you. It's to help you grow up in righteousness so that you can, so that you can walk. So this story is somehow supposed to help me and you walk in the good work that King Jesus has prepared for us to walk in. So if, if you approached Ruth as in the Old Testament, but let's just stick with Ruth. If you approach Ruth as like merely historical, okay, what do we got? We got ancient world. Here's some ancient people. We can learn some ancient names. We can learn about the culture of that ancient world. We can learn about ancient Israelite religion. And that's all interesting and a, a bit necessary to understand what's happening. And you can go to basically any religion department in any secular university, and that's how you're going to study the Bible, basically. But, but we, who have been redeemed by our kinsman redeemer, our king, we're called to read it towards an end, towards a, a theological end. We're called to read this stuff, this, this book, this, this scripture, um, as a way that would train us up in righteousness and holiness. And so it's not merely a, a historical account of something that happened a long time ago. Isn't that neat? Now let's go back to Jesus where we can, you know, understand what we're supposed to do. Paul says, no, no, no. Uh, this was given to you by God so that you can walk the way Jesus wants you to walk. All right, so interesting information here. Ruth being the only book in the Old Testament named after a Gentile. Um, and there's, Ruth fits into two in the ancient text traditions. Uh, we have our Bible and, and you go to your table of contents and it's in a list. And you know where is what? Where, where is Samuel? Oh, it's after Ruth. 
which is after Judges, which is after Joshua, right? And you just have a list of books. Well, that, that, that ancient, there's several traditions of where books go in the Old Testament. And one of the books that, get moves, that gets moved around a little bit is the book of Ruth. And so in the most ancient tradition, Ruth comes after Proverbs. That's interesting. I wonder why Ruth would come after Proverbs. Well, in chapter 3, I mentioned that, that Boaz calls Ruth a virtuous woman, right? That same phrase is in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 describes a virtuous woman. And so in the ancient text tradition, you had Proverbs ending on this virtuous woman and then the book of Ruth showing you what a virtuous woman would look like. That's interesting. Um, and then we have also another ancient tradition um, that we hold to now, or where in your Bibles are, 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 is after the time of, after Judges, because in the, this was in the days of the Judges. So it's kind of chronologically put closer to the Judges. Well, I think we can learn something from both of those. What does it look like to be virtuous? And what does it look like, what does a virtuous community look like in a time of chaos? And so we're, we're starting to get closer to why do we have this book? Why did God give us the book of Ruth? So we, we have this community that is, we keep running into this Greek, or this Hebrew word chesed, which is loving loyalty. And it seems to be that, that, remember we talked about how like in Judges, everything is just chaos and, and it ends with there was no king in Israel at that time and everybody did what they wanted to do. And it was just chaotic and there's terrible stories. It's like the low, low, low point of Israel. And in Samuel, we have the establishment of kings in Israel. So we start to get a little bit more order in Israel. And that carries on, of course, into the book of Kings. But in between this chaos and Samuel sits this little story about how everything works out great. About how the people um, are marked by loving loyalty towards God and towards one another. We understand this Leverite marriage thing, this kinsman redeemer thing. We understand by that and by other things that they are following God's law. Like the Leverite marriage stuff is in the Torah. It's in the, it's in the scripture that they had. They had this ancient text called Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and they read it, and they were like, we should do that. It says that we do this here. Okay, so I'm going to do this here. I'm going to leave uh, my, the edges of my field ready for poor people. That's what Boaz does. He reads the Bible and he obeys God. And, and so with the Leverite marriage. We have, we have these, in chapter 4, we have these judges. We have these 12 men. 12 represents all of Israel, all the tribes. Whenever you see the number 12, it's almost always referring to all Israel. And we had this 12 times, Shay pointed out this 12 times that this gleaning shows up in chapter 2. And he, he said, hey, maybe, maybe there's going to be provision for all Israel somehow in this relationship between Ruth and Boaz. 
So here we have 12 men sitting at the gate. And what are they doing? They're judging righteously. Well, that stands out after reading Judges. Here are these people, this little community, marked by virtue, by chesed, by loving loyalty to God and to one another. They're following the laws of the Torah. They're they're getting together. They're assembling and they're judging righteously. And out of that is born a son who ultimately leads to David, a king, the king, as in the genealogy of Jesus, that, that Matthew tags on. He's, he's looking here in Ruth to get, the, to get the genealogy, and he tags on David the king. And he tags that into, in, into Jesus' genealogy to remind you that David who was the provided seed uh, through, through this goings-on here, um, is also the one who received the promise that one of his sons would be an everlasting king who would reign and rule over the world for all time. And Matthew is saying, that's Jesus. That's who Jesus is, the son of David in Matthew 1.1, right before the genealogy. And it's the kingship of David that Matthew highlights when he tells Jesus' genealogy. So the idea here is that this little pocket of righteousness in this chaotic world, right? We're, we're starting to put together like, well, that, I can relate to that a little bit. I don't know if you can. Like, when we gather together, when we assemble together as the people of God in this seemingly ever-increasing chaotic world around us, maybe we can start to learn a little bit about how we can grow in righteousness from this book of Ruth. What are the, what are the characteristics of our community, of Christ the King Grace? Are we like this little town of Bethlehem? In this time of where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes? Are we welcoming the outsider? Are we hospitable? Do we have loving loyalty to King Jesus and to one another? Our brothers and sisters in Jesus? Are we people of the word? It's interesting here that this righteous community of judges who have assembled, they start talking about figures from the stories of old. May you be like Leah and Rachel. May you be like, may your womb be like open like Tamar's was. Have you noticed that Ruth was married for 10 years and she doesn't have any children? It's pretty strange in that world. But she doesn't have any children. She's obviously barren. And look, she marries Boaz and her her womb is immediately opened. So you have this A picture is being painted for us. Here is a community that is looking at its scripture, living into that story, and they're they're a they're a they're a light. They're a city on a hill. They're a light into this dark world of the judges. Here is this little town of Bethlehem. All of this shows us the theological intentionality of this book. The writer wrote Ruth so that 
You can see what a virtuous community, a covenant community, God's people look like in a world in a time of chaos. And I think that's what Paul, that's how Paul is saying, hey, go and read Ruth and imagine how that book can help you live and walk in righteousness in a chaotic time. The reality is that God has revealed himself in a book, actually in a library. The Bible is a library. It's a, it's a bunch of books that have been gathered together, and God reveals himself to us in this book. And the Spirit is the author, capital A author. If you want to be led by the Spirit, here's words that you can read, stories that you can follow. The Spirit is, try, is, is baptizing our imagination with the Bible through story, through law, through proverb, through song, poetry. The Spirit has taken every form of literature in, his, in, in, in that ancient world and has crafted it in such a way to be profitable for us now. Another way we can see some of this theological intentionality is we can see this group of women who, who was in the first chapter. If you remember, they came up to Naomi and she said, oh, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I've lost everything. And I told you that, hey, whenever you see women come to the fore of Hebrew narrative, look out, because probably something new is going to happen. Some new creation, some new thing is going to happen. Remember, this is a patriarchal society. The bait of everything. When, when, you're, when you're reading the Old Testament, you're probably almost always reading about some guy who's doing something with other guys. A prophet, a king. All, all, all of this is generally, it's, it's, it's kind of men are everywhere in the narrative of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But when women show up and take, take the, even this whole book being named Ruth after a woman, when these women show up, look out, maybe something new is going to happen. Remember I told you about the Mary and Elizabeth come to the fore of the narrative right before Jesus is born. And remember how the women all of a sudden are the ones who find the resurrected Jesus. They're the first ones who find the resurrected Jesus. New creation. Something new is coming. Something new is happening. So this book named after a woman, these women who come up to these women who are, who are apparently destitute, and like, hey, I bet something new is going to happen here. I bet, I bet God is going to provide somehow in a really crazy way. And we don't even know that the, the author chooses to not even tell us this story, these characters who seem kind of random to you, they're, great, they're David's great-grandparents. And here are these women again celebrating with Ruth the miraculous provision. Remember, we needed a miracle. The miraculous provision by, by a mean, the means of which is just a virtuous community. A community that lives according to God's word. According to his ways. Look what God can do. He can redeem a whole people through a tiny community in the midst of chaos he can bring forth a king for, uh, for everyone out of that tiny community. Here's David. 
It's significant that David is, is here at the end. Because the, the author wanted us to be thinking about what is it about this story in this community that is good and worthy, that helps us walk in righteousness. And then he reveals this is how that, that royal messianic hope is tied to, this, to living this way. That we live out our righteousness in this royal messianic hope. So here's the big idea. Um, the book of Ruth is calling us to catch a vision of God's ideal covenant community. And what's so cool about this, that's why I love the Old Testament so much, is it's a, it's a story from the past of seemingly characters we don't even know who they are until the very end. Oh, they're great. They're David's great-grandparents. It's a story of the past that allows us to catch a vision of the future. If you remember when I, you may remember I taught on to Transfiguration a month or two ago, and I talked about how Peter, James, and John were brought up on this mountain, and they encountered the, the um, transfigured Jesus in his glorified state, which John sees again at, in the book of Revelation. But what happens is God, Jesus allows these men to see him in his future risen glorified state. And then it, it goes back to the incarnate Jesus and where he looks and feels and like a man and he comes down with them and comes down the mountain with them and lives in their midst. And Peter, in, P, in, in 1 Peter, says, I, we have a hope. He's t- telling the people uh, of Galatia, about, of Asia Minor, about a hope. And he's like, we have a hope. There, Jesus is risen from the dead. He is the king sitting on the throne. How do I know? I have a memory of it. I saw it. I saw it way back when he was here. He let me have a memory of the future. I, a memory is something that kind of sticks in our heads and embeds in our minds. And it, it tells us maybe where we came from. It, tells, it may tell us how we want to go, how we don't want to go. I'm sure we can think back to memories uh, that, that are virtuous, happy, great memories and some sad, tragic memories as well. But memories are part of our story. And so what Paul is compelling us to do is to make this story of Ruth a memory of, our, uh, of ourselves. These are, that, that we come, we're, we're in the line in Jesus, we're connected here. And God has put forward a picture of what his ideal covenant community looks like in a time of chaos. And Paul is saying, okay, so be that. Christ the King Grace in Pauly's Island, in the South Carolina, in America, in the world. Be this. Be a people who are marked by virtue, by loving loyalty towards God and one another. Welcome, be hospitable to the outsider. Bring them into the fold with loving kindness. Trusting in Yahweh's sovereign provision and goodness. Obey his word. Be a people of the word. So, my hope, and I think the hope of the writer, and I know Paul's hope, is that we read this story of Ruth 
if we've tracked with this story and seen all the virtue and all the goodness and all the kindness by God and by the people of God. And it baptizes our imaginations as we think of how we may engage in our community here, among us. And then how that spills out into the community around us. Let's pray. Father, you are so kind to us. You have provided for us in so many ways. You provided for us in this room by things you did thousands of years ago. And even thousands of years before that. Father, we are grateful. I pray that your spirit would fill us as a community. That as we sang earlier, we recognize that the king is in the room. There is not another king like Jesus. I pray that we would respond with allegiance. With loving loyalty to our king. I pray that your spirit would produce that. Would breathe into this community. An ability to pledge allegiance to King Jesus and live out loving loyalty to this family that you have drawn together. And I pray that that then spreads out into the community around us. I pray that you, through this tiny community, would bless all of Polly's Island. We see, we recognize, we know that you are a God who works in wondrous ways. You can transfigure on a mountain or you can call a tiny little community together to be virtuous. So I pray that you would do that here. Let me pray this for Jesus' namesake. Amen.